Okay, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that helps you translate Trump. Boy, he's doing a lot of things these days. He's going to Singapore to meet with Kim Jong-un, maybe a meeting with Putin. A lot going on. Joining me today is Gordon Chang. You've seen him on TV, and you've heard him on this podcast. He knows it, boy. He knows the stuff. He uh, will uh, answer the questions. Will this summit with North Korea happen? If so, what should we expect? And Gordon will help us answer these and a lot more questions than um, you normally see him get on TV, because we have a long time, unlike TV interviews, right? Exactly. He's not rushed. Right. No we let him elaborate. Commercials. There's no right. hard break. Exactly. Remember, remember, can we do away with that hard break? Yeah, wanted to move the hard break in radio. Can't yep. do it. Can't, Can't do, do it. it. We'll also speak with Charles Payne. You know him from the Fox Business Channel and WStreet.com about the economy, jobs, changes to welfare. He's got some interesting thoughts. I want to ask him, too, given this booming economy, and I think he'll celebrate it, whether uh, this trade stuff, uh, tariff stuff, is going to get in the way of this boom. We'll see. All right, just a few thoughts first before we get to our guests. Um, and, and I really is a few thoughts. Um, the things that are really on my mind are things that I'm talking to these guests about. In order, uh, Gordon Chang, I, I, you know, the summit, is this going to happen? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? What What's up? Charles Payne, I, I want to talk to Charles about the economy. I want to find out if this tariff thing is going to blow up this fabulous economy we've got going on. I'm worried about that. I'm very pleased with the direction of things, as most people are. But I do have a couple of other things. Uh, first, a, a marker. I want to put a marker down. Uh, an excellent article by um, a guy named McCullough. We're going to try to get him on National Review about marijuana. Big marijuana. You know, a merger of two companies, $3.2 billion merger. Uh, just a question here. You know, uh, first of all, we know marijuana is not good for you. We know that. We know that most people start marijuana at a young age, and we know that it you know, can lead to very serious problems, that there are more people in treatment for marijuana than all other drugs combined, but that we do know that at an early age it interferes with focus, memory, and attention. As the former Secretary of Education, if nothing else, that's enough for me to say no. But the other thing is, and this is the point that McCullough makes, is that... Uh, you know, we, we just finished this 20-year siege on tobacco, big tobacco. And, you know, a lot of people feel put it in its place. You know, it's now pretty much a kind of outlier thing. And now we're mainstreaming marijuana. Does this make sense? I don't think it does. Uh, I just leave that question for you, and we will explore this uh, next week or the week after with the author of this piece. Now let me turn to something else, and this is a sad duty. Um and you'll see what I'm up to. It's not the passing of somebody, but in some ways, might have been better if it were. I know that's very harsh. Uh, but, Claude, I used to teach philosophy. And one of the lessons we used to do in the first uh, couple of months is try to make the distinction between what we call the moral good and the natural good. Okay. And I would ask students, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? And they'd say invariably as most people would say, understandably, get a terrible disease, a dread disease, or someone in my family get a terrible disease, cancer, heart attack, whatever, and die. That would be the worst. That would be the worst thing. And to that I would say, and this is kind of being the clever philosophy professor, I'd say, okay, uh, Mr. Jennings, so you get this terrible disease, and then all your friends would walk around and say, that Jennings, he's really a jerk. He's really an idiot. He's really a no-load. Why? Oh, you know, he got cancer. You know, 
And the student would say, no, no, that, that's not the right response. You'd, you'd be sorry for him. You'd be sympathetic. You wouldn't say he's a jerk. Well, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? And this turns on the distinction between the moral good and the natural good. And what it means is the worst thing that can happen to you naturally as a creature of nature uh, is to uh, get sick and die. But the worst thing to happen to you morally would be something else. If you were, uh, you know, uh, became a, a scallywag, a terrible person, um, if you became John Edwards or, you know, wh- whatever, think of the example you want, um, the worst kind of person, MS-13, then it would be appropriate to talk about, man, what a bad guy you become. And Socrates argues, as Plato argues, I believe as Christianity argues, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's worse to um, do evil than to suffer evil. Uh, it's worse to do evil than to suffer hardship. That's the cross, I think, part of the meaning of the cross. So that the moral dimension of life is um, is very, very important. And, of course, we have a whole lot of people uh, who are prepared to sacrifice their lives to, to, to put in a subordinate position their natural good for the sake of the moral good. They're called soldiers. They're police officers. You see my point? Yes, yes. I think it's a good point. Why am I bringing this up? I don't want to be overly dramatic and overly personal, but, you know, as a former teacher, you pick up material wherever you can. And I want to talk to you just for a minute to illustrate this point, noting I may not have all the facts, but I think I have enough. The case of Eric Greitens. Okay. I think you know right. where I'm going. He's yep. the the former governor of Missouri. Eric Greitens came to a light for us when um, a friend of mine told me about his book, The Heart and the Fist, and told me about this guy. The mission continues and all that, the, the stuff he was doing. Eric Greitens uh, is from Missouri. He went to Duke. He was a Rhodes Scholar. After being a Rhodes Scholar, he became a Navy SEAL. He tells this very moving story about uh, being in Africa, working in Africa. And um, people say, well, you, you've shown that you, you love us. This was when he was in the Peace Corps, in addition to the Rhodes Scholar, Peace Corps, Navy SEAL. And people said, you've shown that you love us, but but will you protect us? And that urged him to become a SEAL. So you've heard me say this before. What a resume, you know, what a resume. Uh, What a guy. Uh, The Heart and the Fist is a great book. We talked about on air, Claude, you may remember his commencement address, where he said, sources of strength. The more you think about yourself, the weaker you become. The more you think about others, uh, the stronger you become. Eric Greitens, uh, running the, the the mission continues, I think that's the name of the group, um, came to our office when we were doing the radio show. Do you recall right. this? I remember. With I his remember. beautiful wife, Sheena, mm-hmm. who was a Harvard PhD, um, uh, multilingual, uh, doing translation at the UN, uh, foreign policy expert, beautiful woman. Um, they were married, uh, baby. Uh, he moves to Missouri. He calls me for advice. I said, go slow. Uh, he didn't take my advice. That had nothing to do with not taking my advice. It had nothing to do with the problem. Uh, but And ran for governor and won. I saw him two years ago at the Republican Governors Association meeting in Colorado. And I just congratulated him on, on things and how well he was doing. And we had him on several times. You remember he did a... He did the, the exercise regimen with the SWAT team in Missouri and right. came in first or second. Mm-hmm. We were, and I was saying, this is just the perfect guy. This is just a great guy. What a future. I was wrong about the timing of his 
political campaign. He was he was right and I was wrong. He became governor right away. Well, the future was just unbounded for him. Young man. Then he gets in this, gets himself in this total mess. Uh, apparently, allegedly, sleeps with this woman. Well, apparently, he's, he's admitted to that. A uh, manicurist or a stylist. Yeah, I think a uh, hairstylist, a barber or something. Yeah. And uh, has an affair with her while married. And then the allegations, which he denies, is that he took pictures of her, pornographic pictures, and threatened to release them if she went public. It was a mess. And there was movement to impeach him. There was also the um, effort to uh, charge him on this using a 501c3 charity list for fundraising, which right. is a, another offense, federal offense. So he resigned from office. And he's done, I think. I mean, there are second acts in American life. I think he's done. Do you think he's done? I think he's done. I don't think we've seen those pictures, but, you know, right. we may. We right. may. So, I, you know, I don't want to come back and draw the conclusion it would have been better off if he died as a SEAL. But in terms of the honor of his man and the honor of his name, it would have been. I wish death for nobody and certainly right, not for right. him. But you see my point. Um, better to have you know, lived nobly and, and died nobly than, mm-hmm. than this. Now, as a Christian, I believe in redemption. Sure. And his life is laid out in front of him. He's got a lot of years. I don't know what he does now. And if he calls, we'll talk to him. And if he wants to call and do a podcast, we'll talk to him. We'll ask him some tough questions. Sure, sure. But I, I, I raise this just as a question about the moral good and the natural good and something people may want to talk to their their kids about. The point here is not to encourage people to get sick or to die. Right, no, right. The, the point here is to encourage people to stay healthy physically and morally. And if you had to choose between one or the other, you, you choose you choose morally, I think. Very sad about this. Mm-hmm. And I hope, you know, I hope I have it right. And um, I just remember seeing him at the governor's thing, and I was saying, you know, he's, here are these governors, and they're, you know, they're good guys, but, you know, some of them are aging Republicans, and, you know, there's your governor. What's his name? Oh, yeah, Larry Hogan. Oh, Larry, Hogan. Larry Hogan. He comes up to me, and he says, hey, you know, I look like everybody else. I'm your governor, you know? <laughs> I said, well, actually, we live in North Carolina now, but yes, sir, how are you? Uh, just, you know, Joe, regular guy, and here's Greitens, you know, just. I put my hand on his back. He's a muscular guy. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about the natural good. He's, he's got it healthy and strong, fit. But what a shame. And I feel so badly for his wife and child. Right. But um, what, a, what a sad... What, I, I have nothing more to say. But I guess I thought of it because I'd never get out of the classroom, you know. And I was thinking if I were teaching, I'd, I'd use this as a, as, as, as a sad example. It's just a terrible story. But it's a cautionary tale. Is it possible he rose too fast and somehow, you know, got dizzy and therefore turned to the hairstylist? Who knows? You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. All right, let's jump in with North Korea. Gordon Chang is with us. He is in Hong Kong. He is the author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, welcome to the show. Yeah, well, thank you. Let's go through it. I know you've been through it a hundred times. I would try to make my questions a little more, a little more original. Uh, let me ask the, you know, the million-dollar question: um, Will this happen? I think the summit will happen, Bill, because Kim Jong Un needs it to happen. He wants sanctions relief. He doesn't want the U.S. to strike his nuclear and his missile facilities. And certainly Kim wants legitimization, which is he's going to get as soon as he shakes hands with President Trump. 
Also, the North Koreans would like a counterweight to China, and the U.S. fits the bill perfectly. And, you know, President Trump wants this meeting because he would like the possibility of getting the North Koreans to give up their missiles and their nukes. So both sides have an interest in seeing that this meeting occurs. All right. And and something's been accomplished, I guess, already by them in that the, the deputy, I can't remember his name, uh, who visited the White House. This this was a fairly big deal as well. Is that right, Gordon? Yeah. Kim Young-chol was Kim, Kim Jong-un's envoy. And um, he is a guy with a lot of blood on his hands. Right. He was the former chief of the reconnaissance. General Bureau, and not only a spy chief, as he's been called, but also uh, the operations uh, chief. Uh, and they've done some awful things under his watch. Um, I, I guess that uh, President Trump had to meet him, but I don't think that we had to meet him in the Oval Office, and we certainly didn't have to have it photographed. And even if it were photographed, I don't think President Trump should have been smiling. Um, this is something which was not to our benefit, having this meeting. And if we had to have it, then at least we should have minimized it. So um, there is concern about the way the president is handling this. Because we in democracies, Bill, we don't yeah. think about legitimization. But uh, Kim Jong-un, Xi Jinping of China, Vladimir Putin, they all think of legitimization, and we hand it out much too easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This could have been handled, I guess, by Pompeo, right? Secretary Pompeo um, met uh, Kim Jong-chol in New York on the preceding Wednesday and Thursday. They had uh, meetings which um, they said were fruitful, but apparently we did not get what we needed, which is a firm commitment from North Korea to give up nukes, to give up missiles, and also um, in connection with the pledge President Trump made last month to Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe to get an accounting of the Japanese abductees. These are Japanese citizens that North Korea snatched from Japan and from other places. Um, I hope that by the time of this summit that the North Koreans will come around. But right now, there's no indication that they will. So this is a matter of concern to people who watch this. Yeah, I want to get into the shadows and sunlight here. Uh, about the meeting in a second. But um, just to be clear, the meeting that Pompeo had in New York with uh, Kim Young-chol, if I'm saying it correctly, uh, should have been sufficient in your view. I was a little uneasy watching uh, the president there with this guy because I had heard about what he had done, his reputation, uh, deserved reputation, blood on his hands and and lots of stuff. Um, do Do you suppose... First of all, I take it you think that meeting with Pompeo could have been sufficient, should have been. Do you propose they insisted, or this is uh, Donald Trump extending himself uh, because he wants this summit? Uh, That I don't know, Bill. Um, I suppose that we could have gotten away, even if they wanted it, which I'm sure they did, uh, we could have gotten away with not having it because President Trump, um, at least up until last week, was uh, driving events. We were the ones getting all the concessions and making none of our own. The North Koreans, let's remember, they released three Americans last month. Also, uh, Kim Jong-un made pledges to give up his nuclear weapons program. Um, And we got those for nothing. Um, But now President Trump, it looks like he's allowing the North Koreans back in. And that's something that's of concern to uh, a lot of people as we look at uh, 
you know, these series of meetings that are going to occur, not just Kim Jong-chol's meeting last Friday, but also, of course, the one in uh, Singapore on June 12th. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's let's go to that meeting. Um, you think it will take place. Uh, the president, I think, has been pretty good lately, at least, about issuing warnings and caveats. You know, well, it's a process. Hey, it may not even happen, but right now it's on. I think he's been pretty good on that score. Before I ask my question, next question, do you agree with that? He's been pretty good at setting the stage in regard to expectations. Well, he's been very good because we were the ones um, getting all of the benefits. Um, I'm concerned, though, that uh, the president is willing to have the summit uh, and allow the summit to end without the North Koreans giving commitments of their own to dismantle their program. And the reason this is a concern is because on Friday, when President Trump, after he met Kim Jong-chol, talked about having maybe not just one summit, but two, three, maybe he said, he said maybe even more than three, um, before getting commitments from North Korea. That sounds like uh, allowing them to escape. Um, and this is um, a concern because we've got the momentum. We don't have to allow them to escape. Um, and so the concern is that... Uh, the president is giving away a lot and not getting anything in return from this point forward. Well, that's interesting. Again, as a layman not sophisticated in this, I thought, okay, uh, two, three, maybe more. Uh, Well, you know, that's a lot. But then I thought to myself, we're asking them or telling them, asking them, telling them, negotiating with them to give up all their nuclear capabilities. That's a lot to ask for, isn't it? Particularly since they see that uh, correct me if I'm wrong, as their protection. Yeah, well, they certainly see it as their protection. You're right on that. And it is a lot to ask. But also the U.S. has enormous, overwhelming leverage over North Korea. So it's something that we can ask and expect to get. Okay. A lot of people um, you know, Washington elsewhere say, look, the North Koreans will never give up their nukes. And that's true, but only under the current set of incentives under which they operate. President Trump can change those incentives so that they have no choice but to disarm. And that's what we need to do. That's not to say this will be easy, but this is to say something that's within the realm of the possible. And we should be having, you know, we should adopt that Ronald Reagan attitude of, yes, we can do this. All right. And and those incentives are primarily sanctions or the threat in the background of uh, of combat, of, of, of a nuclear attack, of a... A, demoli- a destruction of their nuclear capability. Yes, we've got sanctions on North Korea, um, but those sanctions are not nearly as strict as they could be. Um, we don't have sanctions on Russia with regard to North Korea, which we should have because the Russians are sanctions busting. And um, the measures that we have placed on China are really minimal, really just symbol giving. And what we need to do with China is impose harsh costs because it has been um, uh, violating sanctions markedly much more than in the past. And so um, this is something that uh, we could not ignore at this point, especially because the North Koreans look like they're going to be recalcitrant. And they're going to be recalcitrant because the Chinese are giving them the means to resist. And so, therefore, if we want to protect the American people, then we're going to have to impose the cost, not just on the North Koreans, but also on their big power sponsors, especially China. We can do this. We have the means to force the Chinese to move in the right direction. So it's on us to make sure they do that. Square that with, uh, I mean, are the North Koreans kind of a cat's paw of, of, of China? Do, do they do what the Chinese tell them to do? 
Um, we know that they do, Bill, because um, Kim Jong-un went to China for two consecutive trips. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. One, the first one was a surprise one in March, uh, at the end of March. And then when uh, Xi Jinping was supposed to return the visit to Pyongyang, um, the Chinese leader didn't. What happened is Kim Jong-un made another surprise visit to China, this one in the first week, the 7th and 8th of May. Um, so basically, we can see that the Chinese pulled the string and the North Koreans came running. So um, we know that China has overwhelming leverage over the North Koreans. If they have, I want to square this with something you said earlier, perhaps I misunderstood. If the Chinese have overwhelming leverage with the North Koreans, I think you said early on uh, this was uh, the North Koreans were talking with us, negotiating with us, because they were seeking uh, some leverage with us to counter what uh, the influence that China has. Um, you know, if they're getting more players in the game, you know, countering their influence with our influence, why would the Chinese allow that to happen? Hey, hey, Kim Jong-un, we know the game you're playing. I could imagine the Chinese saying you're trying to curry favor with the Americans. We don't want you to do that. Why don't they say that if they have that overwhelming uh, effect or power? Do you see the, my point in my question? Sure. You know, yes, the Chinese have overwhelming leverage over North Korea, but we've got overwhelming leverage over both North Korea and China. Okay. So although China has, I think, been mischief-making here, um, I mean, I can't prove it, but clearly the circumstances show that, um, you know, we, we've just got to make sure that the Chinese see this a little bit differently than they have in the past. So, yes, the Chinese, I think, have been trying to gum up the works with the summit. And so far, we've allowed them to do that. Um, so we've got to make sure that uh, we change the game on both Beijing and, and Pyongyang so that they can't do these things to defy um, you know, everyone's expectation that they'll give up their weapons. I got you. Okay. Then, then a, just a couple other things. Can we, can we keep you five more minutes? Of course. Okay. Thank you. Then talk about the Soviets. I was interested that the Soviet visit, was it Lavrov we saw going into North Korea, making a visit? What's that all about? Yes. Um, yeah. Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, was in Pyongyang. I think it was last Thursday. Also, the Kremlin has invited Kim Jong-un to Moscow, and that probably will occur at some point. So we'll see a Putin-Kim meeting as well. Um I'm sure that the Russians are up to no good. They they certainly don't want um, a peaceful solution um, where the North Koreans give up their weapons. And so, um, again, the Russians have been trying to fortify the North Korean economy. And we can assume that uh, Putin, who is a troublemaker in any circumstance, is certainly going to be one here as well. Do you see any uh, coincidence, uh, or is this just Trump uh, Trump style? Between uh, this visit uh, by Lavrov, uh, the summit with Kim Jong-un, and uh, now word of a possible meeting with Putin and Trump. Yeah, there's so much going on here, Bill, it's hard to sort out. Um, (laughs) I know. I don't think. I don't think that Putin wants to meet Kim because he's trying to further American foreign policy goals of the dismantlement of the North Koreans' weapons program. Good guess. Um, I'm only guessing, but... um, I would be really surprised if that were the case. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah. A lot going on. Um, Two more questions. Is it your sense that a lot of work now is being done, prefatory work, preparing for this summit? 
uh, and has there been enough time to do this? Um, you know, the conventional approach is to have you know tons and tons of meetings and hours so that these summits are more or less formalities. Has that has that work been done? Is this typical or atypical? Bill, you know, there has been a complaint of the president's persistent critics that there was not enough preparation for this summit. Um, this is, it, we don't necessarily need preparation if the U.S. is willing to roll out its leverage and, and apply it to everybody in sight. So uh, I'm not one of those who say you have to have preparation. Um, but we have to have the United States willing to make some very tough decisions about our relations with Beijing and uh, other countries um, that have been supporting the North Koreans. I think there's been a lot of preparation. We've had three American teams negotiating with the North Koreans simultaneously. You had Secretary Pompeo with Kim Jong-chol, as we just talked about. That was in New York. You had the, the American team led by Sung Kim in the demilitarized zone, also talking about substantive issues. And at the same time, you've had the logistics team in Singapore talking with the North Koreans about you know, with uh, other matters with regard to the summit. So there's been a lot of work. Okay. Um, and this is one of those things where deadlines are important. You know, you set a deadline and things happen to get done. So um, I think that we've left enough time to do the right things. I'm just not sure, at least from what we've been able to see, that we've got the North Koreans where we want them and where I think the North Koreans should be. Okay. And now uh, something that serious and very thoughtful analysts like you don't like. I want you to make a prediction. But I promise you this. If you're wrong on your prediction, we won't replay it. If you're right, we'll play it over and over and over again. Okay? So <laughs> I don't know if you'll accept the terms here, Gordon. What do you think will happen uh, on June 12th? Well, Bill, you can play it even if I am wrong. Okay. And all, in all probability, I will be wrong. I doubt that. So I be doubt my guess. That. But um, I, I think that we will have a summit. I think there'll be a lot of good feelings. Um, I think it will possibly lead to a better solution eventually. But I don't think that at this summit we're going to hear those magic words of Kim Jong-un. I promise to give up my nuclear weapons program. I promise to give up my ballistic missiles, long and short range. I promise to allow any time, any place inspections. I promise to give an accounting for the Japanese MPRTs. I don't think we're going to hear those words. So that's my prediction for June 12th or June 13th when the summit does end. We will not get the commitments that we need. But um, it is possible that President Trump, uh, who knows certainly a lot more than I do, um, very well may have this in hand. I certainly hope he does. Um, but the signs, at least at this point, are not terribly encouraging. If that's the case, then they would come out, I'm thinking of the Washington Capitals hockey team here, they would come out 1-0 and because they we won't get what we're after, but they will get what they're after, at least a big piece, which is that photo of the president shaking hands with Kim Jong-un. Oh, precisely. That, you know, for as long as the North Korean regime is in existence and Kim Jong-un is alive, we're going to see these photos of Kim and Trump. Um, so that is something that uh, is absolutely sure. It's going to help solidify Kim Jong-un's shaky rule. And so we're giving him a big win. I, I trust that the president has psyched out Kim, so that he knows that Kim feels a sense of obligation and will do the right thing later on if he doesn't do it at the summit. 
Um, and we'll just have to see, as the president says. But this is not the way that most people would conduct this. Most people would hold the North Koreans' feet to the fire, make sure that they make their commitments. Because we can allow this summit to occur and allow the North Koreans to legitimize their regime, but we want to make sure that the loss of leverage that we suffer will be acceptable. And it will only be acceptable if we get the commitments. Okay. Okay, good, good. Last question, you don't have to answer it. Has the White House or people in the White House reached out to you? Are they talking to you and getting your advice and counsel? That's a very easy question to answer, and the answer is no. Nuts. Okay, I'm disappointed with that answer, but <laughs> you tell the truth. Um, I'm going I'm to make some calls. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I don't have much leverage here, but, uh, man, you're, you're, you're just so on top of things. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you very much, our man in Hong Kong. Well, thank you. Bill. That was Gordon Chang, author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. He spoke to us from Hong Kong. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's switch direction. Welcome for the first time, Charles Payne. Welcome to the program, Charles. Thank you. Uh, how's your son, by the way? You told me very kindly once, I remembered it, that you read from the Book of Man to, to your son, and I, uh, I hope I... I see, yeah, you got it right, Bill. We read from that book, him and my uh, two godsons, and, Great. Uh, you know, it was an amazing resource, and you know, my son, I love to listen to him read. Uh, in fact... I used to have him read the uh, obituaries from The Economist, <laughs> which it may, sound, it may sound strange, but I of all the parts of that magazine that have fallen apart, that's the one great thing I love. You have these people that history is sort of forgotten all around the world oh, that are yeah. important. Plus, I love to just hear him read. So it was always a fun thing to do, and your book was certainly a great resource. He's doing great. He's gone to college out in London. Wonderful. Terrific. Wow. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll take full credit for that. Okay, good. I'll take an assist. All right, good. Charles, tell me about this economy. How good is it right now, the American economy? The economy is really extraordinarily good. I I think on a scale of 1 to 10, I put it at an 8. And essentially, you've got a few things that have happened here. First, uh, just the instant excitement upon the election of President Trump. Immediately, uh, I saw indicators from small businesses to others that surged, I mean absolutely surged. And Wall Street uh, talk, that's what they call soft data, right, a survey or those kind of things. But now we're seeing it in in hard uh, data. We're seeing that that enthusiasm is coming to fruition. And what I love about it, it it creates a sort of momentum bill that you can't artificially create. You know, the Federal Reserve printed up $3.5 trillion in phantom money uh, with the idea of generating what they, they would call the virtuous cycle. And the virtuous cycle is somehow I get a job and then a few enough people get a job that uh, they go out and they start to spend money. And then when they spend that money, uh, more people get a job, you know, and it just it's a virtuous cycle. Uh, but it never happened. They printed up this money and, and more or less bought bad assets from banks and the money never found its way into society. So perhaps what they were trying to achieve was the right noble thing. But in reality, it, it didn't work. Now it's happening organically. And, and we've got a nice wind, a nice tailwind right now. Um, talk about the unemployment numbers overall and by and by group, by identity group. 
Well, overall, the, the employment numbers have been fantastic. Um, and I tell you, one thing I always try to not talk about is the unemployment rate, because that is deceiving. Uh, you know, and, and unfortunately, why, why, is, why is it they, deceiving? Let me explain it to you. Let's say we're, we're on a, uh, you know, you have 10 people in a small town and they want a job, and, and two are working, right? So you got 20% of the town is working. Now let's say, okay, it's just so frustrating. There's no jobs. Of the 10 people, two just stop looking. They say, we're not going to look anymore. Two are working, two have quit. The government now says, guess where the unemployment rate is? 25%. They don't count the two that dropped out of the labor force. I see. So so my headline is, hey, 25% of the town is working. Nothing has changed. In fact, to a degree, it's gotten worse because these people who have left the job market, it's going to take a lot to get them back. Okay. So we had millions of people right after the Great Recession leave the job market and not come back. So for me, there are other things I like to measure, like participation, employment to population. Those kind of things are what really, really matter. Then when you get beyond that, it's the composition of the jobs. So I'm I'm extraordinarily excited because I'm seeing jobs, the kind of jobs that we were told would never come back. I call them dirty fingernail jobs, manufacturing, mining, construction. We're at 800,000 since January of last year. Those are great paying jobs. They pay a lot more than retail, a lot more than leisure and hospitality, right. which are the kind of jobs we were seeing in a Great Recession. Okay. Uh, very interesting, um, and your analysis there. I don't want to get off uh, on a rabbit trail here, but I'm in trouble, too. This gets into my territory, you know, philosophy and ethics and all that and uh, the state of the country. When I've watched, even though the rates have dropped, that uh, male participation in the workforce is pretty close to a historic low. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Is that correct? I think I have that right. There are a lot of reasons for it. Uh, it, it is near a historic low. And one of the things I was excited about with the um, with the May jobs report is that men over 20 years old came back into the job okay. market. It wasn't a lot, okay. but it was okay. a net positive. Okay. Yeah. We can talk about that maybe later on when we uh, we talk about uh, some of the state reform systems because I think it's tied into you know a lot of sociological things. But one of the things I've heard as well is that now you're in a situation where two other things are happening. Employers are looking to hire, right? They're looking for people, and the complaint is I can't get you know can't get enough qualified people, which should. I guess in some cases, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm a novice in this area, drive up wages. It should. It should. It, it hasn't driven them up to the degree that you normally would expect. And again, just sort of anecdotally looking at it, right now we've got 6.6 million job openings, by far the largest in the history of this country. And everyone from the smallest of businesses to the largest of businesses all have a universal complaint about not being able to find qualified workers. The flip side of this is what a lot of people are starting to do, and you know the Federal Reserve talked about this uh, a week or so ago, is they're actually relaxing their drug testing policy. Many have uh, just gotten rid of it completely. And now a lot of companies are even hiring nonviolent felons. Huh. What you're seeing now is people who really thought they would never work again, and this gets back to the men specifically, that thought they would never work again are finding employment. Well, I, I don't want people who are using drugs on construction sites or in the high tech or working on anything that might affect me. I, you know, I'm I'm still pretty hard line on that. I mean, I... Yeah, I, yeah you know what? I, I was always hard line on it, too, and I'm trying to... They worked at the White House under Obama. I know that, because they waived <laughs> the drug test. And policy, well, policy came out that way. Excuse me. Sorry. 
comment there. Go ahead. Most businesses didn't waive that, though. You know, most businesses right. were have been pretty hard line on that. But you know, the flip side of that is, yeah, it's if you have someone who smokes weed on Saturday but doesn't smoke it Monday when they show up to work, what's the difference between that and someone who had a couple of beers? Uh, yeah, and, and do we? Yeah, yeah. You know. Don't get me and started. Preclude them, Charles. I'm I was the first drug czar. Don't get me started. <laughs> I'm not trying to get this started, but what I am saying is that I think there's a different kind of perception and 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 overall belief system in this country. Of course, there and is. Um, you know, I was always a hardliner. I listen. I believe that if you ever committed a felony, you should not be able to vote again. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, all of those yeah. things. And uh, but I do see where 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 we box ourselves into sort of a bind here. And, and if we are going to be sort of that forgiving nation that we pride ourselves on, you know, if someone went to jail for three years for selling $300 worth of weed, I, we may want to reconsider them for the job market. Uh, they don't. And that, that, that doesn't happen. But anyway, uh, we can get into that another time. You know, it's like this thing that uh, this pardon that uh, Kim Kardashian was seeking for this nonviolent grandmother. Nonviolent grandmother was the head of a basically the head of a cartel. You know, she was nonviolent. Really? Yeah, but uh, right, she right, was, right. Uh, you know, we were talking millions of dollars of drugs, which do uh, do harm uh, to people. But I, I, I just got to comment on the business side of this, because maybe you and I could talk about the marijuana side of it. I mean, the, the you know, the psychopharmacological effects. But a question I just raised in my, in my opening commentary, I just read an article, a $3.2 billion merger of uh, these two cannabis companies. We just had this 20-year thing about tobacco, right? And maybe yeah. finally put tobacco in its place. Are we sure we want to just import this? I don't mean being forgiving. I mean being forward-looking. Do we really want to have this big a deal uh, in terms of cannabis? I mean, the, the one thing I can tell you, Charles, for sure, is that most people start cannabis when they're young. And when you're young... It hurts, destroys memory, focus, and attention. Having put the cigarette thing in the box, do we really want to open this other Pandora's box? For me, I would. I prefer people never use it. Uh, you know, as a right. person, as a, uh, as an employer, and as someone who lived. Uh, you know, listen. I lived. A, a, a spent a large portion of my childhood uh, growing up in Harlem when it was the most violent economically depressed neighborhood in america sure and i could say right now you know i'm i'm not i'm against all of it but okay. I, I know. i'm also a realist yeah and, and i'm going to tell you you know it's it's one of these things where it's like prohibition of alcohol um i know yeah it's it's you know it's so it's a tough one i i don't i don't think it makes you superior and i don't care if it made certain jazz musicians better <laughs> you know i don't want anybody working for me smoking weed okay right. but they okay. some of them probably do right all right so, i got it listen so i'm, I'm with not, you on that i'm not delicate on this I, i've lost my team is lost uh you know, yeah. we got to come back next year because we're getting overwhelmed. What did it? You'll come back. You know what? No one's going to help you. Things like this recent report out on Colorado after five years of this, some of the things that have happened to kids, some of the other things that have happened. So the the, the, the counter argument is being is being built again. Where was that? I need to find that. You're good at uh, searching. You got to Google it. I read it recently. You know, okay. and uh, they're, they're they've just done some medical studies in Colorado. Okay. And uh, I can tell you right now, it's having a, there's there are some oh, yeah. signs, some yellow and red flags on how it's hitting society in other ways. No, I tracked that one pretty closely, and uh, I, I missed that. I'll go do that. I'll tell you one other thing. I don't want to keep digressing here, but 
Um, and that is there are now more automobile accidents caused by people on right. drugs than on alcohol. You know, that's an amazing... That's in the report as well. Oh, is it? Okay. Charles, yeah. here's this great economy. You put it at an eight. That's terrific. Um, I heard Larry Kudlow yesterday say it's going to nine or ten or use language that could be translated to that effect. What about this tariff stuff? First of all, I'd like to know your sense of it, whether you agree with what the president's doing. And second, whether you do or not, how much of effect could this have? Can this drive it to a 7 or a 6 or to a 9 or a 10? Well, theoretically it could drive it to a 7 or a 6, but I do I do push back against the way it's been articulated in the media. Now, part of the media is always going to have a negative or, you know, a spin on no matter what President Trump attempts right. or achieves. If he does it, it's uh, wrong. There's right. the other part, right? There's the establishment on both sides of the aisle, you know, the conservative orthodoxy, and a lot of it's based on what happened with Smoot-Hawley. Of course, that was almost 100 years ago. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I, I bristle at the idea of a trade war. And I also find it really kind of almost amusing when people say, hey, we're increasing tariffs, so we're starting a trade war. Because if tariffs are the weapons of trade wars, then we're already in one. Even making it even more ironic to a sense is that China, for instance, has an average tariff uh, of about 10% for most favorite nations, and they're growing over the last 10, 15 years at about 9% a year. India has an average tariff, by the way, of 14%, and they're growing at about 7 or 8% per annum for the last 10 to 15 years. South Korea has a 15% tariff rate on average, and they're growing at twice the weight of America wow. over the last 10 years. Wow. So if tariffs are so awful to an economy, why are the world's fastest-growing economies doing that with these high tariffs. Great point. Great question. So having said that, I applaud the president for taking these issues on uh, because our trading partners and even friends or foes, these trading programs are either antiquated or designed in a way where, to be quite frank with you, the World Trade Organization doesn't have a lot of teeth. You know, it takes a long time to process claims, and, 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 and then when they're finally adjudicated, the period of enforcement is another year or two, and then China or any other bad actors back at it again. And, and as far as our friends in, in, in North America, you know, the NAFTA is a relatively old plan. It needs to be revamped, and I think it will be. I think it will be. So the answer is yes, it could drive it to a six or seven, but I really believe longer term, uh, and which, by the way, I wish we would think more longer term. Uh, I, I think ultimately it could push us up. I think we'll have more car manufacturing done in this country. I think we'll open up China's markets, and I think we could curb, to a degree, uh, their technology ambitions. The other thing people don't understand, and I think I've learned this from Gordon Chang, you know, who Gordon is, um, is that, you know, as a debtor nation to China, you know, we have more leverage over them than they have over us. People think, well, since they, you know, we've been loaned so much money by China that, uh, you know, that they have the leverage. We really have the leverage, right? Because we, if we don't pay, uh, they're out of pocket. Well, first of all, uh, you know, when people say China is our largest debtor, that's technically not correct. They're the largest foreign debtor. Uh, you know, they own about $1.2 trillion of our debt. The Federal Reserve owns three times that amount. And don't forget, they just created $3.5 trillion Fair enough. Uh, to, to save off the grave. So if I think push came to shove, the Fed could buy all of the debt that China owns. Uh, okay. that, that being okay. said, okay. China has, their debt is outrageous. So they don't want to start that, I don't think. Yeah. By the way, this one piece I know about, you know, I, I, this is what I don't understand about economists. Maybe I should start reading obituaries in The Economist. But, you know, an area that I used to, be, you know, be involved in, 
the government's largest single, get this word, asset, is $1.5 trillion in student loans. Why the hell is that an asset, Charles? It's not going to get paid. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you're right. A lot of it won't get paid, and a lot of it was taking under the sort of uh, wink, wink that yeah. it would be forgiven anyway, yeah. uh, because a lot of this occurred under the Obama administration, know, where there were a lot of uh, overtures that, hey, at some point, you don't have to pay it. Well, I'm doing some work to try to fix this thing and get a rational more private sector base to it because uh, I think there's some good models. We don't want to keep you past what we promised. We know how busy you are, but just a couple of words on things you've seen in the states that you admire that governors are doing that are making a difference. I, I think I think putting the emphasis on states. In other words, I, I think sort of this uh, idea, I find that most of these states are sort of saying, hey, we want to keep our identity, but we also want to be welcoming to the outside. So I, now, you know, maybe the flip side of that is it all becomes homogenous and, you know, you don't know where you are from one place to another. We don't want the disnification of the world. But I think this is really important, and, and places are being reshaped. You know, um, I was watching the, uh, the Women's Open Golf Championship played in Birmingham, and I've spent a lot of time in Birmingham. My mother was from Alabama. I've got relatives down there, and I didn't even recognize the place. And I think, I think this yeah. sort of thing will create mobility for American workers. I think it, I think it creates more openness, uh, and I think it could go a long way toward alleviating some you know, old pains and, and, and grievances out there. So that's one thing I really like. Uh, you know, now I don't like when some governors and states, you know, want to raise taxes, you know, under the auspices of doing achieving that, because I think that's not really the honest truth. But I like what I'm saying with, with, with respect to America on a local level. I saw an analysis by, who was it, Joel Kotkin, I think, I don't know if you know that name, saying that the Trump states are really thriving. Uh, and growing, uh, and you know the p- kind of policies that are complementary to Trump and the states where Trump was supported uh, are really out distancing the uh, the blue states. Um, he has delivered. I mean, that is the biggest promise he's delivered so far. The yeah. unemployment rate for some of those states are in the twos. Yeah, and uh, it gets back to the kind of jobs we're seeing in this in this country: dirty fingernail jobs, manufacturing, construction, mining. Great. All right. Last thing, I will let you go. Uh, my wife is an admirer of yours as well. I'm a big guy. You're a big guy. She said, "Ask Charles where he gets his suits. You need a suit. <laughs> You're very stylish. I am the least stylish guy in the world, and she wants me to improve. Even though I told her it's too late for me. Well, it's never it's never too late. Okay. Right? Uh, <laughs> well, I have a, I have the same tailor for or like two decades. A guy named Pietro Mucci. So, yeah, that uh, sounds I'll, I'll right. Oh. That sounds right. That's that. That's <laughs> that just sounds right. You know, my problem is I've yeah. got a suit made. I've had it happen for me a couple of times. I wear it once. I put it on. And it looks like crud, and I, and I get a mustard stain on it. You know, but I, you know, really, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm bad like that too. I, I tuck in my tie every time I eat. Uh, so I'm pretty bad like okay. that as well. I could learn that, Charles. Thank you very much. We love listening you to you and watching. Thank you appreciate it. Best to your family. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, that was Charles Payne from Fox Business Channel, and you can find him on WStreet.com. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. 
Hey, everybody. It's Claude Jennings, producer and engineer of the Bill Bennett podcast. Wanted to share some interesting audio with you. Bill had the chance to uh, hang out with Martha McCallum this week uh, on her show, This Story, on Fox News Channel. Bill shared his thoughts about the Philadelphia Eagles' uh, non-visit to the White House. The you know, invitation rescinded, but they were going to send a small delegation and all that kind of stuff. He shared his thoughts on that. He also talked about Bill Clinton. Remember those comments Bill Clinton made recently, whether or not he owes Monica Lewinsky an apology or not. Check it out. Let's put up this quote from the Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney, who took advantage of the situation today to say this. Disinviting them from the White House only proves that our president is not a true, true patriot, but a fragile egomaniac obsessed with crowd size and afraid of the embarrassment of throwing a party to which no one wants to attend. Uh, does he have a, a point in any of that, do you think? No, I don't think so. He has one opportunity here in a year to say something about the president. He took it yeah. as the mayor of Philadelphia. I don't think we'll hear from him again. No, the president had a good point. May I say, first of all, I don't think you're sad about the the Eagles not coming. You were happy to retire with well, the Patriots. Yeah. As I said, if the year. Patriots had won, which that's, is what should have happened, right. they would have shown up at the Rose Garden. But politics and football, you know, it's unfortunate. What does our friend Laura say? Shut up and sing, you know, shut up and play. Um, by the way, let me say, I am a huge football fan, although it's a college game for me. We're three months away. Could we just think about the caps for a minute? I know. And, and you want to see politics, Martha? When Ovechkin goes to the White House? Oh, Putin was at Ovechkin's wedding. Mueller's going to come really? in and arrest them all. I mean, he's going <laughs> to talk about collusion. Collusion. All right, we'll get, we'll get serious. The Russians in the White House. We'll get serious. Look, um, look the president uh, uninvited them because they said they'd have four or five guys coming rather than 50 or 60 or 70. That's crazy. Now, there's all sorts of unknown things. I've heard rumors that they were saying they wanted to have meetings with the president, but the president denied it. I don't, I don't believe the president would deny a meeting. He'd have one of those roundtables on TV. He'd love to talk to those guys. So, uh, yeah. I think some mistakes have been made on both sides here, but they were invited. The president invited them and they said, yeah, we'll send five or ten people. I mean, now it turns into this whole thing. Now you've got LeBron James right. saying, I know regardless of who wins this series, they're playing against the Golden State Warriors. No one wants an invite anyway. It won't be Golden State or Cleveland going. I mean, have we gotten to a point where we should stop this this whole thing? No, I, d- too- I don't think so. Though. There's no well, one- should the teams just go? <laughs> they should go. Just go. Yeah, the president has no one to root it's for. An honor, you In know? the NBA Finals, he doesn't have a team to root for. No, they should just go. I remember Bill Clinton was not a guy I liked. He was not a president I admired. But when he came into the room and we were at the Kennedy Center, I said to my family, we got to stand up. He's the president of the United Absolutely. States. Absolutely. I think every, every American States, should feel that you way. You go. And your team is honored in a way they can't be honored in any other way, in any other venue like that. Speaking of so Bill Clinton, they should have come. Yes. Uh, Bill Clinton's been digging a hole and he just keeps digging um, this week. He basically you know, was asked in an interview whether or not he should apologize directly to Monica Lewinsky, yeah. given the context of me too now as you know this is a this is a tough frame of reference that he's living in right now but he was very offended that he was even asked a question about it it was different bill clinton wasn't it? Yeah. i've seen that one before occasionally uh, he wears well head, yeah, yeah flares yeah. but you know i think part of it is the clintons don't think they should be asked tough questions this is past they're above criticism but you know he should have expected this i would would have think, thought he would have been better prepared for this question but you know he's got to face the fact we're in a different moment 
moment now. I was thinking about this. Monica Lewinsky time, it was a different moment for feminism. It was, I am woman, hear me roar. She's empowered. She's a woman. People would say, yeah, but she's just a girl. No, no, she's a woman. She can make her own decisions. Now Monica is coming to a realization. Maybe I was taken advantage of. You sure were taken advantage of. You're also implicit in what you did. But uh, Clinton doesn't think he should apologize for it now. He was wrong then, as I wrote in a book, and he's wrong now. I mean, it's not going to get better for him. He's got Juanita Broderick is saying, you know, what about my... It's it's not as if you can pass it off as like, oh, there was just this one affair, and maybe it was consensual, as Monica said. There's too many other things out there. It's going to be more and more difficult for him to go out and do these interviews. The more he appears, the more he will hear this. And even, did you see the poll of the uh, Democrat professors? Not Democrat professors. Well, they're all Democrats. Saying, you know, rating the president's his standing has dropped by about 10 slices because uh, because of the Me Too movement. No, he's going to run into this everywhere, and he has to face up to it. Because some presidents charges. rise over time, and, right. and others some get, fall. Some get better. Yep. Some, Bill some, Bennett. And some should disappear. <laughs> All right, those were Bill's thoughts on the story with Martha McCallum on Fox News Channel. Well, that's just about it for this episode, folks. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. Bill Bennett.